Amen. Praise the Lord for His grace. Praise the Lord. He is our hope. Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 this morning together as we see the ordinary becoming the extraordinary. You know, when I was looking through this passage, when I was reading through it and allowing God to kind of get this passage through me, I recognized how many ordinary features God would use to bring about extraordinary work on His behalf. Our God is always about that, is He not? Our God is always about how He takes the ordinary and He makes it extraordinary. Now, when you think about the ordinary and you think about it as an adjective, basically, you think of something with no special or distinctive feature. It is just normal. If you were to refer to something as ordinary, you would refer to it as commonplace or standard. But then you think about the word extraordinary, extraordinary. Now, again, I'm from Mississippi. I like to pronounce about three extra syllables in every word. So let's do it. Extraordinary. Okay, extra. That means there is something that is particularly special about this item that we're referring to. It is very unusual. It is, in fact, remarkable. So here's God who takes that which is normal, commonplace, standard, and he transforms it into something that is truly remarkable. I believe that in my life personally, and I believe it in your life as well. That our God can take the ordinary and he can present the extraordinary. I believe it based upon his scripture. And I want you to see it now with me this morning. As we begin in verse 1, as we hear God's word to us. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Now, look at verse 1, if you will. In verse 1, you just have this ordinary kind of scene. It tells us that Moses is about keeping the sheep. Remember, Moses had already left Egypt. He had been forced out of Egypt because the people had not rallied to his side. He had killed the Egyptian, and Pharaoh had decided it was time to deal with Moses. So Moses fled, and he went to Midian, present-day Saudi Arabia, and there he began to keep the sheep of what had become his father-in-law, Jethro. So here he is keeping the sheep. So it's nothing out of place. When you look at verse 1, it's kind of like, okay, Moses still keeping the sheep. It says that he is taking care of the flock of his father-in-law, and at this point, He's been doing it for how many years? Forty years. Forty years he's been out in the desert taking care of sheep. He's been going about the ordinary work of the day. Do you know how monotonous that work must have been? I mean, it's one thing when you do the same thing over and over. Say, say you're pastoring a church or say that you are a nurse or you're a doctor or you're working in a factory or whatever else. Sometimes the, the monotonous just can overcome you. I mean, it's the same thing over and over and over and over. But think about taking care of sheep. When you take care of sheep, they're the same little sheep every day. 
Now, you might have one or two added to the flock, but it's basically the same thing. You're caring for the sheep. You are talking to the sheep. You are making sure the sheep are okay. So here he is, 40 years into taking care of the sheep, and he's just about the ordinary work. Now, the Bible does tell us that his nomadic travels had taken him from the traditional land of Midian all the way back over to Sinai, and he's there at the mountain of God. We'll talk more about that mountain in a moment. But basically, he is about the ordinary work. This is just an ordinary moment in his life. This is where I want to give you this first. With God, the ordinary moment can become an extraordinary moment. I'm talking about when everything is just like, you know, it's just ordinary, it's just normal, you're going about your business. It's in that moment that God can intervene and God can speak in such a way to bring something extraordinary out of it. He's working. He's taking care of the sheep. He is faithful. I just want to encourage you that whatever God has called you to at the moment, you are faithful to it. You are faithful to the moment. You don't sit around and twiddle your thumbs. You don't sit around and say, oh, I I hope God's going to give me something to do. I'm just going to sit here and wait. There are a lot of people that just sit and wait. You see them in a church. They just kind of sit. Sometimes, uh, some people have said they, they sit, they soak, and they sour, right? They just kind of like, we're just going to wait and just see what happens and how God calls me. Oh, yeah, God's going to show me one day if I need to work here, if I need to work there. No, 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 no. You get about the work of God, and God will intervene in the ordinary moment of faithfulness of your life. And here's Moses. He's keeping the sheep. He's done it now for 40 years. It's an ordinary moment where he's just working as God has given him the liberty to do. But it's a moment filled with ordinary expectations as well. From what I read of this, this day started like any other day. I mean, verse 1, just the way it reads, it's kind of like, okay, now Moses, he's about the business. He's going over to the mountain of God, Horeb, but he's still just keeping the sheep. And the expectations of that day must have been the expectations of any other day. Moses didn't get up that morning and think, now, today is the day God's going to do something. I'm convinced that God didn't even speak to him and warn him beforehand. Like when Moses was eating his Cheerios, God didn't spell it out in the Cheerios. As when he went out and looked at the flock, God didn't like spell out the will of God in the wool of the sheep. God didn't even arrange the clouds in such a way to say, get ready, your day is coming. As a matter of fact, it's this day I'm about to do something in your life, Moses. God doesn't work that way. Oftentimes you're about the ordinary moments with ordinary expectations. And what does God do? God interjects himself there. God interrupts your life. And he says, here I am. How many times have you had ordinary moments that God just interrupted and God made them extraordinary? Maybe you had gone into work again. You were thinking things uh, would just be like they always were or always are. And all of a sudden, God gave you a great ministry opportunity. Maybe it was a worker that was going through some issue. And they wanted to talk to you and see how you might could 
handle it through your Christian faith, and you were able to give testimony. Isn't that an ordinary moment that God turns into extraordinary, where he can use it for his ministry? Maybe you were having lunch, and you got that call from the adoption agency that said, hey, you have been matched. We think that we're going to be able to do this. You are going to have a child that is adopted. Is that not incredible? You were sitting there just eating lunch, and all of a sudden you got a call because God interrupts our ordinary moments and he makes them extraordinary hey i remember when i got the call about talking to temple baptist church as their pastor i was walking down the hall of the education building at first baptist church of zachary i remember it like it was yesterday i was just walking down the hall and i was doing my business you know doing whatever else and i'm sure i was busy because you know preachers are always busy it was probably a Sunday. But anyway, uh, I, I was walking down the hall, and I got a phone call. And this uh, older guy, um, you know, I was thinking, if God can, never mind. It was, uh, it was a guy named Dr. Dwight Anderson. And he was the chairman of the search committee at Temple. And he said, uh, Dr. Bridges, I'd just like to talk to you. And I just wanted to see if you might be interested in talking to us at Temple. We've been looking for a pastor. And let me tell you, that was nowhere on my radar. Nowhere on my radar. Even when I hung up, it was nowhere on my radar because I was kind of pretty settled where I was. You know, sometimes you get settled. You get comfortable. Any of you? No? I don't know. Some of you look real comfortable here this morning. See, some of you, 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 you thinking you live streaming and you sitting there kind of, you know, I'm proud you, I mean, I'm proud you got out of your PJs, but that's about it, some of you this morning. But when you think about, you get comfortable and what does God do? Boom. I was walking down that hall and what just happens? A phone rings and God turns that ordinary moment into something that is extraordinary because that's the way God works. That's the way God works. And Moses, he's just going about his business. Oh, but God's got some more business. And God's going to speak to him in an extraordinary way. And what God does is he takes an ordinary means and he uses it in an extraordinary means. So, so look at verse 2 again. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. God is going to use a bush. The Hebrew here tells us that this bush is just like a little scrubby bush. It's a little shrub. It's nothing that would be impressive at all. There would be many of these types of bushes that you would find in the wilderness. You'd find these bushes everywhere. And I'm convinced that when Moses had made his way from the land of Midian all the way back over to the Sinai, he had seen thousands of these bushes. He had traveled hundreds of miles and I believe he had seen thousands of bushes. This is just a bush like any other bush. It would be like me coming to you this morning, those of you who live here in North Louisiana, and saying, hey, I want to tell you about this incredible pine tree that I've seen. I'd love for you to join me at, after this service and come by my house and look at this pine tree. It's incredible. It's got little, like, green little needles on it sometimes it's they can kind of get brown and they can fall you ever any of you ever 
And then hopefully at that point you pray that you've had a lot of kids or grandkids in your life where they can rake all that stuff up, right? And, and, and it's got like this little bark on it that looks like scale stuff. I want, you to sh- I want to show you my pine tree. You'd probably be like, hey, I got other things to do. Don't care to see a pine tree. I've seen million, millions of pine trees. All these pine, yes, there are some a little taller than others. Yes, you got a little variation here or there. It's a pine tree. I'm not, I'm not typically in awe of a pine tree. Well, let me tell you, you're not going to be in awe of one of these bushes. This is just one typical bush, just an ordinary bush that you find anywhere. But I love the way Swindoll put it. Swindoll said, when God is in something, an ordinary old bush will do. Because God can take an old bush and he can use it as his mouthpiece. God can take an old, normal, just routine bush that you find and he can use it for his kingdom purposes. And what does God do? God consumes it. Love it. God consumes this bush. In verse 2, don't miss this. The angel of the Lord, that is a manifestation of God. It is God himself. God is present here. An angel of the Lord is here. The fire demonstrates the manifestation. The fire often demonstrates the presence of God. Earlier in Genesis, it would be a pot of fire that would symbolize and represent God's presence in the covenant with Abraham. Over in Exodus 19, when the covenant is brought together, With the people of God, what happens? God descends upon the mountain in fire. There's the fire by night that will lead the people of Israel. It is the fire that Daniel will see as as he sees God on this fiery throne. And it is John in Revelation that will see the fiery eyes of Jesus himself. It is a manifestation of God's presence. God uses this bush to speak of his presence. Oh, how God can use ordinary means, right? Did you know God can use ordinary means? He can use a, a Sunday morning. Let, let me put it this way. Expectations. You came here this morning with probably ordinary expectations. Or maybe you came with a little lower expectation than usual. Why? Because you're thinking, well, some of us going to have masks on. Some of us got to sit. Some of us can't hug. Some of us can't shake hands. Some of us can't. So, you know, you kind of lowered your expectations of worship maybe just a bit, maybe even on live stream. But God is taking this means of physical meeting. And think of this, how God has taken the means of television, live stream, all these different things so that he could Speak his truth and speak his word. Is that not incredible? Now, now I know technology, but it's pretty normal. Many of you in here, you're, well, a few of you checking Facebook right now, I see you. But many of you, you use all kinds of social media and all. It's just ordinary, but God, God has taken it and he has used these things for his good and his glory over the last few months. And oh, how the gospel has been heard in so many different homes that we would have never been able to touch otherwise. Because God has a way of invading the ordinary means, taking an ordinary bush, taking an ordinary television set, taking an ordinary just church service, 
Some of us come with expectations. God, you really going to speak to us? I'm going to tell you that when God's word is open, when God is in the house, God always will speak to us. And he can bring an extraordinary, an extraordinary moment through extraordinary means. I want you to notice that it's the means of a decision as well. Look in verse 3. It says that Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So what had drawn his attention? Well, obviously the fire. But there's something different about this fire. It's not been caused simply by a lightning strike. It's not some type of spontaneous combustion. This fire, it continues to burn. It's not consuming this little scrubby bush. It just continues and continues. And listen to what Moses says. Moses says, I will turn aside. I will willingly and voluntarily submit myself to God and what he is saying. I, this is something special. This is something that is different. I was talking to Leslie even earlier this morning, and I said, it's incredible to me to think that these are Moses' memoirs. Basically, this is him writing his own story, right? I, I believe he wrote the book of Exodus. So here he is. He's writing this, and he's talking about it now, I believe, some time afterwards. And he's like, I remember seeing the bush, and the bush didn't burn. It wouldn't burn up, that is. And I decided that I would turn aside and that I would hear from him willingly. You see, I believe in our hearts and lives we need to make it a priority to turn aside. When God speaks, we turn aside and we hear. May we be honest? So many of us are so busy all the time, we, we have trouble just stopping and turning aside. We got to get the kids to practice, to the baseball field. We got to get ourselves to work and finish up some of the things that we had left we, we got to make sure that we're making these phone calls back and all of this. My friends, we need to stop from time to time and turn aside to hear what God has to say. Some of you say, I wish the burning bush would be in my life. Many of you, there is a burning bush. You just hadn't stopped to see it. You're still walking. You're still running. you got to make a willing, volitional choice to say, hey, I will turn aside. I believe God is prepared to speak to us. The question is, are we prepared to hear from him? Look in verse 5. Then he said. You see this connection? That's God. Moses said, I will turn aside in verse 4. And then... God speaks. Or verse 3, Moses is turning aside. Verse 4, he had said, So when the Lord saw that he turned aside. You see that? It's when Moses decided that he was ready to listen that God said, I'm ready to speak. There's a 
connection that is there. And you and I need to be willing to hear. We need to be available. What do they always say? Your availability to God is more important than your ability before God. Are you ready to hear? Are you available? The Lord knew he was ready. And again, back in verse 4, he had said, Moses, Moses. Called him by name. Now see, here's where it would start to get real with me. It's one thing to see a bush that's not burning up completely. But when the bush calls out your name, Reggie, Reggie. Now, I've been out in the woods, and many of you know that I am a very skilled outdoorsman. You can put amen on the live stream as well. They're all saying it here, by the way, if you can't hear it. But if I were in the woods by myself, and all of a sudden I heard my name, Reggie, Reggie, and I knew that there wasn't supposed to be anyone else around, I think I would make some tracks. Moses, Moses. Ah, but this is God's personal call. And notice how Moses reacts. Here. I am. It is a response of surrender. Now, we're going to beat up old Moses a little bit about the excuses later. But can we at least see here that he was surrendered? Here I am. This is language that was used in Genesis 22. When Abraham had taken Isaac. Remember when God had spoken to Abraham first in chapter 22, verse 1 of Genesis He had spoken out to Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am, Lord, here I am. And then when Abraham had taken Isaac upon that mountain, and Abraham came and was ready to sacrifice his son, God called out, Abraham! He said, Here I am. It communicated full surrender. It's the same context of this. Here I am. As an 80-year-old man, Moses had been stripped down. He had been cut down. He had been brought to the place of where he's on the backside of the desert. He had nothing else, no other prideful considerations to take. God had honed him down in such a way that when he comes to this moment where God can speak so clearly, he is willing to hear and he is willing to obey. And he makes the decision. And then God turns an ordinary mountain into an extraordinary mountain. Verse 5, he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. He says, Moses, take your shoes off. Now, we know and are familiar with this custom somewhat. If you were to go in certain people's homes, they even like for you now to still take your shoes off, right? You've taken your shoes off before you walked into somebody else's home. It's the kind of um, respect that you're demonstrating when you do that. Obviously, certain cultures, they, they understand, they expect that you will do that before you enter into the house. Like you take it off a sign of respect. So 
God says, right here where we are, this has become a different place now. This is a place of holiness. It's set apart. Why? Because God's there. It's his presence. So he says, take your shoes off. Take your sandals off. Take your shoes off because this, this right here, this is my house. Now, I'm kind of old school still, a little bit. Does that surprise anybody? Just a, little bit, just a little bit old school. And for me, when I think about like the sanctuary or the gathering, I think of those places being very special places of worship. Now, partly because there's the collective gathering and there is something very important about God's people coming together. Over the last few weeks, and I still hear this, people say, I, I enjoy live stream. It's nice having my coffee right in front of me. It's nice just uh, not having a dress and do this. But also I hear so many people say, it's not like being with the people of God. It's not like being in the house of God. Because there is something special about the people of God coming together. But my old school thought is like, hey, this is, this is like a sanctuary. I remember at Blue Springs Baptist Church, I was music and youth. And we had done some things. I came in one Wednesday night, and the youth were in the sanctuary. And they, back then, we still had the hymn books. And they would take the hymn books, and they were actually playing baseball with the hymn books. They had a piece of paper they would throw, and they would hit, and then they'd go across the pews, like coming around. I got a little my mama in me. And when I saw that, Buddy, did I lose it. I was not the most Christ-like youth minister at that point. I could not believe. I was thinking, come on, this is God's house. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We went. I took my Bible. I began to preach. I began to tell them what was what. And I didn't have any end time because it was after services Wednesday night, you know. Oh, folks. I believe there is something special about people of God gathering together. But I'm going to tell you this. Wherever God is, wherever his presence is, that is a holy ground place. He can take an ordinary old mountain. This is a mountain. Listen, it's just a rocky old mountain. I've been to the traditional site of Sinai. There's nothing spectacular about it. It's dusty, rocks everywhere. But what God did is he took that old mountain, that old geographical feature, and he displayed his glory and his holiness right there. Because God can transform our lives. He can transform the mountain, an ordinary mountain, into something that is extraordinary. And remember what this is called back in verse 1. In verse 1 it says, the mountain of God. Why? Because you know, you've read your Bible. Sinai will be the place in Exodus 19 where the covenant is given to the people of God. And they come and remember they are to separate themselves because of the holiness of God. God can transform. He can transform the ordinary. Listen, He can transform our lives into a place of holiness. But what I also like to see is how God can transform an ordinary man into an extraordinary man. Oh, verse 6. God said, I am the God of your father. He doesn't call Amram by name, but Moses knows that he understands who he is. He understands the lineage of Moses. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. 
he says, I know who you are. Now, he had called him by name, Moses, Moses. But now he says, I know all about you. I know all about you. What does he know about him? He knows all his failures. You get this? Moses is an ordinary old guy just with all kind of old failures. He's ordinary. But, oh, he messed up. He messed up. He had failed. See, this is where you and I can enter into the picture, right? Because we know all about failure. I do. We all have failed. And God knows us. He offers to speak to us and reveal himself to us even in spite of our failures. Now, I think a lot of us respond like Moses did. See what it says? Moses hid his face. Why? Because when you're a failure, you don't want to stand in the midst of a holy, great God like that. There's something down deep where you recognize how broken you are. And you hide. It's an idea of how holy God is and how unholy you are. He says, here, I am the God of your father. Oh, and I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I am the God, I am the God who can work in your life because I'm the God who's worked in your forefathers' lives. Because Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all failures. You say, how do you say that? How do you say that, Reggie? Read their lives. Abraham lies about Sarah. Abraham doubts God and his provision and decides that he will try to help God out by having another child, another promised child. Isaac, well, <laughs> a father who will promote conflict with any sons. Jacob, his very name means what? Heel or trickster. And how he was the deceptive one. Let me tell you, when you look at that, and God said, hey, I know you, I know your dad, I know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I know all of them. They were failures too, but I used them. And I can use you. Listen, I think God speaks to us sometimes and he says, I love you. I love to use failures for my kingdom, for my glory. Because look, if he uses us in our failures, we don't get the credit for it, do we? God does. That's the reason he always chooses the ordinary. And he is the one who makes it extraordinary. Because nobody else could do it. It's his goodness and it's his glory. As he gives us a second chance. Man, I just thank God every day for a second chance. I thank him for a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance and a sixth chance. Because he hasn't given up on me despite all my failures. He can take an ordinary man. And he can make him into an extraordinary man. He can take an ordinary mission. And it can become an extraordinary mission in God's hands. Look, look at this finally as we close. Because God has a mission has a mission for Moses. Now, what's the mission been? Shepherding the flock of Jethro. Now God's going to say, I've got this other plan where you will shepherd 
my flock, my people. So in verse 7 it picks up. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Because now God is going to task him with the extraordinary mission of leading the people of God out of bondage. At the age of 80, he has a new purpose, a new plan. Oh, God always knew what he was going to do with him. Don't miss that. But now he is going to move from the backside of the desert back to the court of Pharaoh. And God is going to use him in a mighty way. God is going to use him to transform the cries of the people into the celebrations of the people. I came across this some years ago, though. Talked about the will of God for Moses and the will of God for the people. And, and this statement was made because I want you to see this is bigger than Moses. Get this, okay? This is bigger than Moses. When God speaks into your life, it's always more about his kingdom and his purposes than it is about you anyway. He loves you. He's going to use you. But understand, like when he's declaring his will for your life, it's not just about the will for your life. It is about the will in his kingdom purposes. This is what the statement said as I came across it some years ago. It said, at the time God was about to deliver the children of Israel, the important factor was not what was the will of God for Moses. The important factor was the will of God for Israel. See, this is not just about Moses and his plan and his purpose. It is about God's plan for the whole nation of Israel, for his people. He is going to deliver them. This is bigger than Moses. This is a redemptive mission that you see here in Scripture. We'd already been told that God heard the cries of his people back in chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. But now, God says, I'm going to utilize you on mission. Listen, when God brings you into his will and he reveals it to your heart and life, understand it's more, it's more about his kingdom agenda, not about your personal agenda. When God revealed his will for my life at the age of, I was 16, when I knew I was called to preach, that wasn't just for my own personal benefit. I am grateful to him to be able to do what he asked you to do and have that fulfillment. Man, that's awesome. But this is not about my purpose or my will. It's about the will that God has for his kingdom. It's a bigger mission, bigger purpose. Hey, every day I am so thankful that I am part of a big mission. Do you realize what a big mission we're part of? We are speaking eternity in people's lives. 
There is no other business. No, no offense to you business people who are watching or who are here. I appreciate you and you are contributed to the kingdom in so many different ways because of what you do and who you are. But understand, the major business, the major business that all of us have, eternity. And that is the way we can speak into people's lives. Here he is going to go and he is going to help wrong and injustice. You and I, you and I as God's people always ought to speak for what is right, for what is just, for what is holy, for what is righteous. You and I ought to be spokesmen for that and we ought to be bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to bear on every situation. Because it's more than us. It's about his purpose. It's about his kingdom. We're not called to promote self. We are called to profit the saints and see others come in to the kingdom of God. So let me go back some years. Several years now. Some of you remember being in Baptist churches. And there was this new study that came out. It was called Experiencing God. There was a guy named Henry Blackaby that wrote that along with some of his family members. They put that together. But Henry Blackaby wrote this study, Experiencing God. I still believe that it ought to be a prerequisite for every believer that they ought to still go through Experiencing God. I remember going over to the North American Mission Board office in Alpharetta, Georgia one day. I was in college, and Henry Blackaby had an office in there. It was uh, like the Office of Prayer and Awakening, I think the name of it was. And I walked in. He wasn't there because that's about the way it goes in my life. You know, he wasn't there. But I walked in anyway, and I touched his desk. You know, I, I said, if he can't. Pray over me and lay his hands on me and let me lay my hands on his desk. Because there was something very powerful as I studied through that. It, it changed my life to think about how we could experience God. And I don't know if some of you who went through it, you remember, but Moses was a major character in Henry Blackaby's study. Henry Blackaby summarized it this way, and this is really the way I want to close today. Because Henry Blackaby summarized the experiencing God and, the, and really how God took Moses and the ordinary things and he made them extraordinary. This, this is the way Henry Blackaby put it down. He said, one, God was already at work around Moses. God was already at work. He's already at work around us. Number two, God pursued a continuing love relationship with Moses that was real and personal. Number three, God invited Moses to become involved with him in his work. God said, here, come. I want you to be involved. Four, God spoke to reveal himself, his purpose, and his ways. Five, God's invitation for Moses to work with, Moses, with him led to a crisis of belief that required faith and action on Moses' part. Six, Moses had to make major adjustments in his life to join God in what he was doing. And number seven, Moses came to know God by experience as he obeyed God and God accomplished his work through Moses. And I love that succinct statement about how God worked and how God had taken the ordinary and made it extraordinary in Moses' life. I give you all that to say this. 
Some of you may think, you know what, it's just right now there's so many different things going on. And, you know, there, for you personally, for me personally, it may seem like we haven't quite got back in the groove. You think about a new normal. A normal? Folks, I, I don't want to just see the normal. I want to see the super normal. I don't want to just see the ordinary. I want to see the extraordinary. I want God to take those things. And to use them for good and glory, to show us his presence, and to motivate us evermore for his work in the kingdom. Would you hear his presence? Would you know that God can take a preacher this morning and use it as a burning bush in your life? Would you know that God can take this scripture this morning? That God can take anything that we've done, a music, a song that we've done, and he could have spoken to you to call you to himself, to a closer walk, to obedience. Oh, God wants to do it. God wants to take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. And Father, I come right now to you and I recognize, Lord, your power and your goodness and your glory. And God, just as I believe any old bush would do, I think, Lord, you can use any of us in this place to be able to promote your good, to promote your mission. And God, I pray that today you would enliven our bones. God, we need renewal. We need revival. We need the burning bush experience. We need once again, Lord, to turn aside and see you. As the majestic, holy God you are. God, help us to fulfill your purpose. Help us to experience you in the mundane of life. And help us to be faithful. We pray it now. In Jesus' name.